Good morning. It's great to, to be here this morning and it's great to have just enjoyed some, uh, some homegrown worship being led by some of our, our regular musicians and worship leaders. And um, I'd like to say a big thank you to the Grimes family for um, leading us in worship this morning. It's, uh, it's, it's really good to have that, that familiarity and that comfort, which is something that I'm sure I'm not the only one who has, who has missed in these past few months. This morning... We're going to be tackling a subject which some people will have very strong feelings about. Unless you've been living on Mars for the past couple of weeks, you will be well aware that the spectre of racism has reared its ugly head again. Not just in America, but um, it's had a knock-on effect in different countries and different cities across the world. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, no, please, not more. I've had it. I've heard about it. I know what happened. It doesn't affect me. I'm not interested. I'm not a racist. It doesn't affect me. Or you might be sitting there thinking, oh, no, I've got to go through this again. I've got to be reminded of the the abuse that I've suffered. I've got to be reminded of of how awful I've been made to feel just because of the the colour of my skin or or where my ancestors came from. I've got to go through that again this morning. Or you might be thinking, great, the church is going to give a response. It's important when things like this happen in the world, when we suddenly find that these serious issues are being discussed and debated as a church, that we do give a response. It is important. There are some people who would prefer to simply bury their heads in the sand, pretend this is someone else's problem and wait until it's all gone away. Wait until the headlines are addressing something else, something that we don't need to worry about. They would rather hear sermons about a nice, cuddly, friendly Jesus, rather than addressing the issues around us. I can understand that. It's awkward preaching the topic, especially as a relatively middle-class white male. It's not a nice subject, but it's a relevant subject, and it's a necessary subject. And it's important as well, because... Just like in wartime, medical treatment advances much, much faster than it does in peacetime because suddenly there's a a demand for development, there's a demand for for a response for, for new technologies and new drugs to be developed really, really quickly. Sometimes, sometimes you look back and you say, well, the war was terrible, but thank goodness we've now got penicillin or, or any, other, um, any other advancement that's happened during times of conflict. Well, in the same way, sometimes it's good for the church. In times of difficulty, in times when unpleasant subjects are being discussed and debated across the world, it's good for the church to get involved, to be challenged on what our theology is and how we express our faith how we express the grace and love of Jesus Christ in these circumstances. Now, our understanding of our theology, of how our faith fits into the world, our understanding of God and the way that he works around us, is formed by three major influences. The culture that we live in, that we're all affected by the traditions that have moulded the way that we worship, the way that we talk about our faith, the way that we see our faith, 
having been developed and advanced over the years. And thirdly, through scripture, reading what the Bible tells us, what God tells us through his word when we read it on a daily basis. There are three main influences. Now this morning, as I was preparing to speak, I was thinking about these three influences. And I thought, well, I could speak about the culture. I could speak about um, how awful it is that in this day and age, when we, we look back and we see so many different examples of, of, um, of racism throughout history, we have seen so many examples of different people groups being brutally oppressed and made to suffer simply because they didn't quite fit in with the majority. And yet we stand here today and we talk about Black Lives Matter. But we don't talk about how, for example, North Korean lives matter when we know full well that in North Korea there are labour camps, almost in the style of concentration camps, where people die by their thousands simply for speaking out against an oppressive regime. Don't we believe North Korean lives matter? Or maybe... If we look further afield, other countries, Iran, Saudi Arabia, China, countries that have appalling human rights records, countries where people have been, have been unfairly and unjustly imprisoned or, or tortured or, or put to death simply because they express an opinion that they're not allowed to hold or because their face doesn't fit. Now, of course... As a white middle class British male, I've done what we always do and pointed the finger at everybody else. I haven't mentioned the question of whether or not German lives mattered. When in 1945, Dresden was flattened by the Royal Air Force from bombing raid after bombing raid after bombing raid. I haven't asked whether Iraqi lives matter. All those civilians in Iraq who died during a war which was begun under very questionable circumstances, on very questionable evidence at best. You see, all around us there is injustice. All around us there are things happening that as Christians we should not simply accept. We should feel a rising of anger and disgust at so many things in the world around us. Yes, black lives matter. Yes, we should be aware of racism in all forms in the world around us, not just in other countries, but right here in our own town and, dare I say it maybe, in our own church sometimes. So I'm not going to talk about culture anymore this morning because I think we've got a lot of work to do to get our culture right. The tradition that forms part of our understanding of our theology. We can look back at we can look up, look back at the slave trade and we can we can claim that one, can't we? We can say William Wilberforce, good Christian man. He spoke, he, he read the scriptures and then he spoke up and he worked and worked and worked until eventually he achieved with the support of many other people the abolition of the slave trade. We can point to people like John Newton who was a slave trader himself until eventually he suddenly saw the wrong in his business, in what he was doing and repented and came to faith. And as many of us will know, he wrote the great hymn, Amazing Grace, 
how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But that's not the whole story, is it? Some of you would have seen the sermon that Nicky Gumbel, the rector at um, uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, preached a few weeks ago, where he made the point that the Church of England had slaves, and at the abolition of the slave trade, the Church of England received compensation. History tells us that the church has done a lot of good, but it's not always got it right. But you see, our culture changes. Our traditions aren't necessarily the most reliable thing to to found our, our theology on. But the one thing in all this that does not change is scripture. You can go to the British Library today And you can see there the oldest known copy of William Tyndale's first translation of the Bible into the English language. And although you will will look at it and you'll see that a lot of it is written in Old English, you will find that the contents, the spirit, the meaning doesn't change over centuries to centuries. So scripture is where we are going to begin and end today. Jesus spoke a lot about the way that we should treat others. Firstly, of course, when he was asked what the two greatest commandments are, it was quite simple, his response. Love God and love your neighbour. The love that we feel for God should be equal to the love that we feel for our neighbour. If that's true, then that means that we would always put them first, that we would always show respect and love and grace to them, that we should do everything we can to help and be there for other people. Jesus taught a lot of parables. The Good Samaritan teaches us that every single one of us matters. The shepherd didn't have favourite sheep, and when one, of, when one of the others went wandering, said, oh, well, I've got 99, he went and looked for it. He searched for it, because every single one of those lives mattered to him. Or the parable of the Good Samaritan, where we see someone from a completely different culture, a different tribe, a different nation, helping someone who should really have been treated as an enemy. But instead, the Samaritan shows grace and love. Jesus, when he speaks to the woman at the well, another another example of where Jesus himself speaks to, speaks to somebody who, who culturally, politically, he shouldn't have been speaking to. But those, those barriers, those boundaries, Jesus taught us to break down, to see through, to ignore. That's the example that he set us. But today, I'd like us to change something. We're going to look at a passage in a minute which teaches us a lot about about our attitude to people of different cultures, different races, different faiths. You see, I've had so many conversations recently, this week and last week, where I've heard people begin a sentence with the words, I'm not a racist, but... And that makes me cringe inside. It's a very clumsy way to start a sentence. You find yourself immediately trying to defend the indefensible. 
I'd like us to change our language. Rather than using that statement, which immediately sets us up for a fall, let's not defend. Instead, let's start start sentences with the words, I'm a Christian and... And then go on to explain why being a Christian is a positive step in the fight against injustice of any kind. You see, there's something worse than racism. You might stand up and say, well, I'm not a racist, but... But you can't stand up and say, I'm not a sinner, but... You see, the whole point of Jesus being sent, the son being sent by the father, is because every single one of us does things wrong, does things that that dishonour and displease God on a daily basis. We all do it. We're all sinners. Paul writes in, in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And so God sent Jesus into the world to, to, to teach us, to live amongst us, and then eventually to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. He's the only one who was blameless in the world, and so he paid the price for us on the cross. And so through Jesus, we are reconciled to God. We are all sinners. Racism is a sinful thing. But it's just one sin. So rather than defending ourselves with the words, I'm not a racist, but, let's start promoting our faith with a positive statement, I'm a Christian and... Now in Acts chapter 10, if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to it. The book of Acts in the New Testament, straight after John's Gospel. It's the, it's the book that, um, that recounts the, the actions, the acts of the apostles immediately after Jesus ascended back into the kingdom of heaven. And it's this group of disciples who are confused, they don't know what to do. And then suddenly there's a day of Pentecost, which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago at the end of May, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And they each found themselves talking in different languages. And and there were different people in the city of Jerusalem that understood those languages. And then the the message got out that there was something going on. The the apostles were persecuted. They They were chased out of town and they all went to different places. And the book of Acts follows the journey, the spread of the Christian faith, of the gospel message in those very early days. It also recounts the 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 building of the the early church and what that looked like. But today we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. Now Acts chapter 10 is is an interesting passage. It begins with a man called Cornelius who was a Roman soldier living in a place called Caesarea, Caesarea, which is in modern day Syria. And he was part of a regiment known as the the Italian Regiment. Now, coins have been found in that area with with the inscription of that particular regiment on. So the archaeological evidence corroborates that there was a group of uh, a band of soldiers that were called the Italian Regiment. But they weren't actually Roman soldiers. They weren't Italians. They were local soldiers that were employed um, by the Roman army as a bodyguard to the local Roman governor. Uh, So that's what Cornelius was doing there. And we're told that Cornelius 
he wasn't Jewish, but he did pray to God. He was, he was a Gentile, a, a non-Jew, who had converted to Judaism. And we're told he was God-fearing, his family were devout, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So one day, Cornelius is, is praying, and suddenly he sees this, this angel appear, an angelic presence appear, and says to him, send men to Joppa, and bring back a man named Simon, who's also known as Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So Cornelius kind of gets this angel saying, go and abduct this guy called Peter. Um, but Cornelius is obedient to God, so he sends two of his servants and a soldier to go and find Peter. While this is going on, uh, Peter is completely oblivious. Until the next day, he's, he's praying up on, up on the roof of his house. And um, while he's doing that, he's, he's a bit peckish. He gets quite hungry. I don't know about you, but I often find it's quite distracting. If you pray when you're hungry, your mind drifts onto food pretty quickly. And Peter was no different. He wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He sort of nodded off or maybe he was meditating, um, but he was waiting for the food to come. And then he has this vision, this vision of a, a, a sheep sort of being let down onto the earth and it's got animals of all kinds all over it. Now, Jewish law that we read at the beginning of the Old Testament was very clear as to how food should be prepared, which animals were seen as clean or unclean, um, which animals the Jews were allowed to eat and which ones they were to completely um, avoid. And so it comes as something of a surprise when Peter hears, um, hears a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. In other words, here, Peter, is a buffet. Eat what you like. Choose whatever you fancy. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice speaks to him a second time, saying, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So this vision happens three times and it's, it's embedded in Peter's mind and he's very confused by it. He thinks, what on earth does that mean? That was really, really weird. Um, he's trying to work it out. And then suddenly, the men sent by Cornelius have found the house where Peter's staying and they knock on the door and ask if Peter was there. At that moment, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, we don't know through what medium, but he says to Peter, there are three men looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, don't hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. So Peter goes downstairs. He must have been very confused by this point. He's thinking, what is going on? He goes downstairs and says, I'm the one you're looking for. And they say, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man. He's respected by all Jewish people. And so Peter invites them into his house as their guests. He eats with them, and the next day he obediently goes with them back to Caesarea to meet Cornelius. Cornelius has called together his friends, his family, all his servants, his wife, children, everybody is there in his house when Peter arrives. Cornelius is humble, 
Cornelius kneels down in front of Peter when he walks in. He honours Peter, and Peter is, is quite abashed by this. He says, stand up. I'm only a man myself. You see, if Cornelius had, had welcomed Peter by, first of all, frisking him for a weapon and then, and then making him sit apart from other people and, and grilling him on who he was and, and trying to work out what it was that God wanted to be done, then Peter might well have been quite offended by that. But instead, Peter is honoured. He's a stranger who's been, under very odd circumstances, invited into Cornelius' house. But Cornelius honours him. Cornelius humbles himself and Peter responds with a gesture saying, you and me are no different. He doesn't say, I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile. That's quite right. You bow down to me. I'm better than you. He says, you and I, we're both the same. We're just men. So Peter goes inside. He finds this large gathering of people. He's a bit shocked by, by who's there. And then he comes out with this really awkward statement, highlighting the sort of the elephant in the room. He says, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or even to visit him. Now, as far as we can tell, this wasn't expressly forbidden in the law of the day, but it certainly wasn't a social norm. It was very odd for Peter's culture to go and mix socially in the house of someone from Cornelius's culture. Firstly, there was a big distance between the two, but secondly, more than that, Peter was a Jew and Jews and Gentiles did not mix until now. So Peter highlights the elephant in the room. And then he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. You see, this is, this is almost the moment when Peter could have, he could have said, I'm not a racist, but he could have defended the Jews. He could have said, this is why we don't meet together. There are these differences. Our law says this, our God says this. But, but instead he says, I've been taught a lesson today. I've been humbled. God has shown me that I shouldn't call any man impure or unclean. He says, that's not for me to judge. It's not for me to say who is clean or unclean. I've been shown that we are all the same. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We come back to that. Peter says, when I was, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Now, what on earth am I doing here? <laughs> Cornelius explains what had happened, how the angel has appeared to Peter. And Peter then realises that God has given him this opportunity to go into the house of a Gentile and to give him the gospel, to explain about the, the life and the love of Jesus, to explain about, about the circumstances around Jesus's birth, life and death and the significance of what Jesus did on the cross. Peter was still speaking these words when the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The Holy Spirit 
wasn't selective. The Holy Spirit didn't simply fall upon Peter and the, the Jewish contingent he brought with him. Instead, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, so that's the, that's the, the, the Jewish, the Jewish contingent that had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, even on the Gentiles. My goodness, this is, this is revolutionary, this is earth shattering, this is groundbreaking. Peter looks around. Maybe he had ringing in his ears the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, when Jesus said to his disciples, now go and, and make disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Maybe they, they're the words that were in his mind because Peter then says, can anyone keep these people from being baptised? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't know how many people were there. We know that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 or more people were baptised in response to the gospel message. We know that in Acts chapter 10, when Peter visits Cornelius's house, the whole household, the whole family, all the servants, everybody who heard that message was baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. We know that no one questioned anyone's culture, anyone's race, anyone's background, anyone's right to being baptised because the lesson that had been taught is that in the eyes of God, all lives matter. And then the passage closes with this lovely scene. They asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Peter had walked into that house that day and, and said, we're not really meant to be doing this. Your lot don't mix with my lot. By the end of it, Peter spends a long weekend with them. They invite him to stay, be our guest, and Peter accepts. This is a significant lesson in the life of the early church. This is a significant lesson to Peter. You see, Peter was the one who had been hanging out with, with Simon, the zealot. The zealots were a pretty... Um, aggressive bunch who would murder Rome, Roman soldiers at any opportunity. So Peter might not have been a zealot himself, but he kept that sort of company. He was also the one who, when Jesus was first arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he was taken to be tried and eventually crucified, Peter was the one who saw the, the band of, um, of soldiers coming to arrest. He drew a sword, he hacked off the ear of one of the soldiers and it took Jesus to stop him otherwise he would have gone on a killing spree defending Jesus. Peter knew the history of how about 600 years before all this happened um, the Babylonians had ransacked Jerusalem, taken the, the Israelites into slavery and wrecked the city leaving it a pile of burning rubble. Peter strikes me as the kind of guy who wouldn't have dropped a grudge easily. Fresh in his mind here is not only the, the tradition, we don't mix with them because of what they've done to our people in the past. That would have been in his mind. The culture, 
they're the ones who arrested Jesus and put him on the cross. That would have been in his mind. But Peter does what we should do. He focuses on the thing that doesn't change. Not on the tradition, not on the culture. He focuses on God. As Christians, when we look back to creation, we see Adam and Eve. Now, different people have different views on on creation and how we should read that, but God created man and woman. We all come from a common gene pool. Yes, we've changed over the years. Some people happen to have white skin. Some people happen to have black skin. We have no idea what the original Adam looks like and none of us can claim to be closer to the image of God because of our skin colour. But what we do know is that God created each and every one of us. We are all equal in the eyes of God. We are all called to show love and grace to each other. It's sad that we still We still look around the world and we still see gross injustice taking place on a daily basis. And as Christians, we need to be able to say to people, I'm a Christian and I believe that we are all equal. And my God, my Bible, my God tells me that. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 14, he says about Jesus, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. My goodness, we need someone to do that today. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. So there was no Jew, no Gentile. Jesus broke those barriers down that we've just been reading about in Acts 10. But he's also broken down all the other barriers that we've thrown up through centuries since then. Jesus can break them down through his church, through you and through me. We can make a difference. This issue is relevant to us. It does need a response and it does need us to be reminded of what Jesus did. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. You see, Paul also goes on to write in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, 
You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you have been baptised into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And today I'd say black or white. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, regardless of whether we're black or white, or anywhere on the spectrum in between. God doesn't look at that. He looks at us and he sees that we are all sinners and we all have access to the salvation of Jesus. And he looks at his church and he says, go and spread that message in the world. Go and preach the peace that Jesus preached. Take that message. Be be angered at the injustice that you find. Do something about it. Don't just look the other way and pretend it's not happening. So we've got a choice. As a fairly middle class, white, male church minister, I find that I could spend my entire life apologising for things. But I choose not to. Instead, the choice I make and the choice that that I see in Scripture is not to allow myself to to be haunted, to be destroyed and eaten up by the wrongs of the past, whether they're my wrongs or the wrongs of generations before me. What's gone is gone. I've turned to God. I've asked for his forgiveness. And he's, he's given that forgiveness through his grace. And so instead... Rather than dwelling on the past, I see the new thing that he's doing. I see that I'm being called. His church is being called not to accept injustice, not to, not to accept the, the mistakes that are made in the world, but instead to learn from them, to look around and to learn the lessons of history and make sure that we use those lessons, we use what we've learned to to give ourselves a better present and a brighter future. The reconciling blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful that no barrier can stand in its way. And we are the church. We as a church can make sure that we don't accept injustice. We don't accept any form of discrimination but we also don't accept that we're going to be forever apologising or having to defend ourselves. Let's not say anymore, I'm not a racist, but. Let's instead say, I'm a Christian and. And through those conversations, let's pray that something good will come from it, that more and more people will come to know the peace that Jesus preached, will come to know the reconciliation that comes through the Christian faith. And that they'll come to know Jesus as their own personal saviour. Not an easy message to hear. Not an easy message to preach. But if we stand firm, if we make sure that everything we do and we say is grounded in scripture, then we, don't, we do not go out there in fear. We go out there in faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the the diversity of the world.
Lord, thank you for the fact that there are so, 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 so many different people, different places, different cultures, different traditions, different races, different languages. Lord, thank you for the difference that you give us in this world. Father, thank you that you've made us all different, but you love us all the same. And Lord, in these times, help us to be a positive force in the world. Help us to do all we can to teach people your ways. Father, rather than dwelling on past mistakes, help us to build a brighter future, a better future, a future that, 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 that mirrors your love and your mercy and your grace and your peace. Father, help us as we seek to become more Christ-like every day and bless us even when we don't quite get it right. Father, we know that to you all lives matter and we pray that that will be true of us as well. In the name of God the Father, of Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit that is in us and around us. Amen.